0: Well, good morning. Before we get into the message of the morning in the series, God's Perfect Design, and we're going to be talking about what is the meaning of life. But before we do that, I just want to make a couple of comments. You know, unless your head has been totally in the sand, you're aware of the fact that a week ago yesterday, Hamas terrorists from Gaza brutally attacked Israel. Um, people on the ground, I've heard they fired like 5,000 rockets into Israel over a short period of time. Uh, killed a lot of people, injured many more, and uh, took some of the Israelis hostage and they're still being held It was just a brutal attack. It was evil. Wrong. And then, of course, Israel responded by declaring all-out war on Hamas, and they're engaged in that right now. But the question I want to present to you is, how should we respond to this? The Bible has some very, very clear answers about how we should respond to situations like this. And I want to just take a couple minutes to give you seven responses that I believe are taught in God's Word that we can employ personally in each of our lives. The first is this. Don't panic. know Jesus said very clearly, it's recorded in Matthew chapter 24, He said, You will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed. And in our vernacular, don't panic. And He goes on to say, For this Must take place, but the end is not yet. This is not the end yet. It's kind of pointing to the end, but God at this time would want us, instead of panicking and being full of fear, to trust Him, to trust His plans. He is trustworthy. His plans are always perfect. And they're always on time. And they will be fulfilled. Secondly, um, I believe the Bible teaches we need to support Israel. doesn't mean that we agree with every decision that political Israel makes. Every move, every decision they make. But overall, recognize that Israel is still God's people. God still has a plan for Israel. And He has promises he will ma- that He has made. And He will fulfill His plan. He will keep His promises right to the end. That's the way God is. And so, I believe we need to stand on what Scripture teaches about what God has planned and what He will plan to do in the future. And then the third thing maybe is obvious. We need to pray. We need to pray for those that are suffering right now. We need to pray for peace. There's a lot of hatred flowing back and forth right now. We need to pray that people would lay down their hatred and pursue peace. We need to pray for the leaders of Israel and also the leaders of the Palestinians and the Hamas people that they would make just and righteous and wise decisions at this time. And then pray for the Christians in that area. I didn't know this until this week. Did you know In Israel and in the Hamas territory in Gaza, there are about 170,000 Christian believers, our brothers and sisters in Christ. Let's pray not just for their protection, but for their faith that they would be strong in the Lord and that God would use them to share the gospel of peace, the gospel of Jesus, and that through all this, many, many people in both sides would be saved. And then number four, I believe God's calling us to love Israelis and also Palestinians. It's the way of Jesus. It's what He taught. It's how He lived. pray, that God would give us opportunities. Maybe you know some Israelis. Maybe you know some Palestinians. I know of one just a few miles from here. Let's pray that God would give us opportunities to show kindness and love to them. And then number five, hope in Christ. If you're worried about what's going on in the world, and many of us are, and I get that way, when I get discouraged and worried, I've got to go to the end of the book. This book. Go to the book of Revelation. My favorite chapters probably in the entire Bible are chapters 19 and 20 when Jesus comes in victory and He will deal with all the evil, the open evil. He will even expose the hidden evil. And there's a lot of that going on today. And He will deal with evildoers. They will be exposed. They will be judged. And then he will rule and reign forever. And I am looking forward to being part of that rule and reign. Because I'm his child. And then, finally, number seven. Actually, two more things. Number six, we need to speak out against evil. We need to call it for what it is. This attack was terrible and evil. We need to speak out against that, but also all evil around us, here, now. And then share the gospel of Jesus Christ and the hope of forgiveness through him. And then finally, not just point the finger the other way, but this way. I believe this is a time we need to examine our own hearts. Are we right with God? Is our heart right with Him? Is there sin in our own lives? And then come clean. Admit it. Repent of it. Run to the cross for forgiveness. Where forgiveness always is. So just a few things that I believe God's calling us to do at this time. And would you let me pray right now for some of these things. Father God, You are holy. You are sovereign. You are the one who is totally aware of everything that's going on in the world and even in our own hearts. And I pray, Lord, during this time, You would move there in the Middle East. Move in Israel. Move in Gaza. Ask God, Lord, that people would be convicted of sin and that they would truly repent and that many, many would believe on Jesus and that peace would come in this war. Protect those and help those that are suffering. We cry out to you, Lord, that their hearts would be comforted, those who have gone through and are still going through terrible, terrible things. And I pray, Lord, you would give us opportunities, even around us, to show the love of Jesus to people from that part of the world and to... Share the gospel of Jesus. And then, Lord, work in our own hearts. And as, Lord, we talk about your perfect design, I pray, Lord, that it wouldn't just be theory. But, Lord, we would be gripped for who we have been created to be. And then live that way with all of our might. I pray in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Turn your Bibles to the first chapter in the Bible. That's Genesis chapter 1. We're going to be talking about what is the meaning of life. By the way, it's the same meaning for everybody. Christians, non Christians, every single person on the face of the earth. Before we get into that, I'm going to show you a little video. What would I say is the meaning of life? That's a really loaded question. Meaning of life? Yeah. Meaning of life. Yeah, I yeah. have really no idea. This is tricky. Mm. Hmm. Tell me off guard there. Eh? One minute, can you? I mean, a lot of things in life, but if I'm to go religion or spiritual. Meaning in life to me would probably be happiness, most important. Happiness, to have happiness. Be happy. The pursuit of happiness. Passion. You live for. You live for your passion. Connection, uh, relationships, and um, empowering your dreams, living out your dreams. Смысл жизни, думаю, что в some way. Meaning of life. Doesn't mean anything. The meaning of life to reproduce. To enjoy every second that we are here in this world because that's all we have. Not to let like the demons f you up. Leading your life with the love of Jesus Christ and obeying God's word. You have not left the world in worse state than when you arrived on it. So you have to somehow do something meaningful, whatever that is. I don't want to do anything my with my life. Having your loved ones and being happy. Just, you know, be a good person, kind of try to live life the best that you can. We all have a purpose that God put us together here on this planet to serve some greater purpose for Him. Living without any regrets and making sure that you live your life to the fullest. The meaning of life is to help others. Intentar pasar por la vida de la manera más desapercibida posible. Intentar ser lo más humilde con la naturaleza que puedas. You know, sometimes I think that we don't have any purpose in life. We are just here like another species. You are here just to enjoy like the landscape, like, every day that you live and you breathe. He made you. What you are for is him. He made you for him. You spend your life discovering the meaning of life, I feel like. Everyone has their own meaning for life. I think it's something that comes with time and... uh, I'm not sure yet. I'm still trying to find the meaning of life, I suppose. I googled, what is the meaning of life? And I don't know how many billion articles there are on the internet But it was striking to me that a lot of the answers are focused on self. How to achieve happiness. And it's interesting how many people in the world pursue their own personal happiness, not necessarily the happiness of others, their own personal happiness in order to feel fulfilled. But it doesn't work. King Solomon had it all. Um, He had great power as a king. He had all kinds of money. Enormous wealth. He had hundreds of women at his disposal. He had the best food and wine. But it's interesting at the end of his life when he looked back, having had it all, this is what he said in the book Ecclesiastes, the second chapter. He says, Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity and striving after the wind. Did you ever tried to grab the wind. It's blowing and you go. And then you open your hand. There's nothing there. That's what he was saying. Everything he had tried to live for. And he had it all. Didn't fulfill his real purpose in life. And then. At the end of his life. Looking back. He said this. Remember. Your Creator. When? Not when you're old and it's too late. Remember your Creator in the days of your youth. Before the evil days come and the years draw near, of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. If you're young, don't wait until you're old, to find the meaning of life. Search for the answer now. And to find the meaning of life, you have to go to what Solomon says is the Creator, the One who started it all, the One who created us. He has the perfect plan because His design Is perfect. Imagine you're playing Monopoly. Something which I don't really like to do. (laughs) But just imagine you're sitting around a table, your table with some of your friends and me. And you start the game and you start to move along the game. And all of a sudden, I start bouncing a basketball on the game board. And then I take the money, paper money, and I throw it, fling it across the room. And you say to me, what are you doing that for? And I say, well, that's the way you play the game. And you say, well, look. And you bring out the instructions, the rules of the game, which you didn't invent, but it was invented by the inventor of the book of the game. And you remind me, you can't just play the game any way you want. You've got to play according to the rules. The same is true in life. That in order to navigate life, it is essential, not preferable, essential to play according to the so-called rules of the Creator of our game, our lives. And that is God Himself. And to do that, we go to Genesis chapter 1. Where God not only lays out how he created the world and it was really, really special. But he lays out why. And this is what I want to look at this morning with you. In the early part of the chapter it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and then through a succession of days, he creates the various parts of the world plant life, animal life, all of that. But then on the sixth day, he does something really, really, really special. He creates a man and a woman. And how he does it and why he does it is very, very special. I'm going to read just two verses, 26 and 27, says this. Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. I'm going to stop there. Couple of observations. This is different than when he created the animal and plant world and the the seas and all that. It says God said, let us make man. Who is us? It's a reference to the Trinity. Hard to understand We believe in one God, but there are three distinct persons. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And this looks like a conversation among them. And they say, let's do it together. This is different. This is unique. And I believe the reason is, Because they were going to do something very, very special. Second observation I want to make is that um, it says, let us make man. It's actually a reference not to a male, but to mankind, which is why I have mankind in italics here up in the screen. They were going to make mankind the human race. Started out with one man made out of dirt. A woman made out of a bone, which was Adam's rib. You can see that in chapter 2. And then God breathed into them the breath of life. Doesn't say that about the animals. This is special. This is unique. And then the third observation, he says, let's make them in our image, in our likeness. Again, this was not true of the animal world or the fish. This is going to be especially for the human race. Not a physical resemblance because God is spirit, but it refers to a spiritual resemblance. An image, if I could say, which is the word used here. What is an image? An image is a representation of someone or something. And it reminds us of the original, but it's not the same as the original. In fact, it's inferior to the original. Let me give you an example. This is Lake Moraine in Banff National Park up in Alberta, Canada. Nita and I were there. In fact, I took that photo uh, in June. Our family graciously sent us there uh, for our 50th wedding anniversary. And we were thankful, had a glorious time. This is an image of the lake. But it's inferior to actually seeing the original, seeing the lake itself. I remember when we walked up to the edge, I was in absolute awe. I couldn't speak. I just had to look at the turquoise colored water and the mountains, the glacier in the background. You can see that. And it was so huge and it was awe inspiring. And I just had to stand there for five or ten minutes and look and appreciate it. The photo looks nice, but it's nothing like the original. God is the original. God is perfect. We, made in His image, represent Him and are there to reflect what He is like, but we are far inferior to the original. And yet, amazingly, God has commissioned us To bear his image so that we can reflect what he is like. We're kind of like his mirrors. Reflecting him. I am amazed that God would call me to that kind of life. Why me? Why you? So God bless them, it says, and he gives them characteristics that reflect him. He gave them relationship. He gave them the opportunity to have a personal relationship with him and with one another in order to show the wonderful relationship and the love that flows between members Of the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit. He gave them creativity. The ability to create children. In order to demonstrate His own creative power. He gave them dominion, the ability to rule, to steward nature around them. In order to show his own lordship, his kingship over every single thing. He gave them responsibility. You see this in chapter 2. How Adam was commissioned to work the garden. To keep it up. In order to show that God is a God who works and does wonderful, wonderful things. He gave them morality. He said, you can eat out of every tree, but don't eat out of that tree that called the knowledge of good and evil. He called them to a holy, obedient life in order to reflect how holy, absolutely holy he is. Well, Adam and Eve were created in the image of God and not just them. It includes every single human being who has been born, who is on the face of the earth. I have been created in the image of God. You have been created in the image of God. Not just to bear the image, but to reflect the original God himself. Keep that in mind. As we go, King David, the king of Israel, who wrote many of the Psalms, really understood why he had been created and the meaning of his life. He understood this image thing and the closeness he had with God. And that he had this great privilege, in spite of his imperfections, his sin, to reflect what God was like. And I want to turn to one of his Psalms 139. The 139th Psalm, if you have a Bible in some form in front of you, turn there. And he starts out this Psalm by saying, this in verse 1. Oh Lord, You have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. He's basically saying, God... You know me inside and out. You know what I think? You know what I do? You know what I'm like? You know my weaknesses? God, you know that. And then it goes on in verse 7. I'm abbreviating the psalm. I like to go through it the whole thing, but no time. Verse 7, he says this. Where shall I go from your spirit? And where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me first three verses, he says, you know me thoroughly. And these verses, he's saying, you know where I am and there's no way I can run from you, hide from you. You're wherever I am. Important point. He's not threatened by this. A lot of people, when they hear the fact that God knows them and knows where they are, They're afraid of that. Remember Jonah? (laughs) He tried to get away from God. Can't do that. Impossible. And David is not threatened by this, but instead, he loves it. He wants God to be close to him, aware of him. Because he knows he's made in the image of God, and God loves him deeply. And then it goes on. in verses 13 and 14, "For you formed me in my inward parts." You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. He's acknowledging that God has made him, and he's made him in a very special way. God created him, doesn't use the words here, but I believe the understanding is here, in God's image. God has done the same thing for you. Whoever you are, you have been made in the image of God in order to reflect God and what He is like, you are special to Him. You are special to Him. You're not just a blob of tissue. You're not just someone who doesn't matter in the world. You matter. You are special. The way He made you is special. I'll share with you that in my life, I've struggled somewhat with feeling inferior to other people. Like I can never measure up. Like they're so much better at this, and I'm kind of a failure at that. But when I've come to understand this, about how God has made me the way I am, on purpose, He has allowed me to be born because He wanted me on this earth. It's not accidental. And it's not without meaning. When I've come to understand this, it's been transformative in my life. And I pray that that will happen with you as well. He goes on. In verse 23. At the end... Um, Let me just read it. He says in verse 23, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there is any grievous or wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. He's saying here, Lord, you've searched me, and I want you to search me more. And I want you to probe deep into my heart and soul, my motivations, and expose any sin that might be there. He feels safe enough with God to ask him to do that. God created us to be mirrors of His wonderful glory to reflect Him. We are a mirror not to look at ourselves. We're a mirror to point it to God and have Him reflected in the way we live. But you know, mirrors can get tarnished. I remember times when in the winter, I've gone out to my car and it's frosted over. you ever experience that? The windows are frosted over and I get in my car and my rear view mirror, it works fine, except it can't see out the back window because that's frosted over. And the side mirrors are frosted over. And what I have to do at a time like that, is clean them. Or I've had dirty mirrors in my car, and I've had to clean them. Sin is the same way. God has made us a mirror of His wonderful glory, but our mirrors can be tainted, tarnished, dirtied by sin. Maybe you're thinking my mirror's pretty dirty right now. I'm not a good reflection of God. In fact, I'm just the opposite. I would say to you, it's time to clean the mirror. It's time to clean the mirror. We cannot do it ourselves. We have to be willing, but Jesus is the one who does the cleaning. He does the forgiving. He does the life transforming. He does all of that. In our life group, we've been sharing our testimonies, short testimonies, and I've been so, so struck and moved by the stories of life transformations that some people have shared. It shows me there's hope for me. If God can do such radical things in them, He can do that in me as well. And I ask you, how's your mirror? How well are you reflecting God? And if the mirror's dirty, tarnished in some way, it's time to clean it. And we start doing that by actually praying this prayer that David prayed. Search me. Know my heart. Try me. Know my thoughts. Will you do that? Will you go before God in quietness and just open up to Him and say, search me. Convict me of any sin that I have done. And then you run to Jesus when He shows you that who is the source of forgiveness because he died on the cross, which we celebrated earlier. And he's also the one who loves to transform people, change their character. One of our definition, well, in our definition of a disciple, part of it says the disciple is one who's being, being present tense, continuous being transformed by Jesus. And that's what he can do. Get into the Word. That is a tool God uses. If you've been neglecting this in your personal life, your growth is being stunted and your mirror is getting tarnished. Take advantage of meeting together with others in life group like Jesse encouraged us to do. We need that. If you're neglecting fellowship, you're neglecting one of the tools God uses to bring about life transformation. And there are many more things. How's your mirror? If it's not in very good shape, it's time to clean it. Father, You are amazing to not just make us, but to make us exactly like You have. And to give us the privilege of reflecting in the way we live, what You're like. We want that to happen in us. And I cry out to You that Jesus would do a deep work in each of our lives, bringing about repentance and brokenness over sin, bringing about faith instead of unbelief, whatever the need is, we ask You to do it. I pray in Jesus' name, Amen. May you go and follow through on what God has said.